there's nothing else we can cut. Like you either got to move or you need to raise your income. And so many people are like, okay, I'll just cut, 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 cut. And I'm like, you can only cut so much. And I had that mentality for a while. Like, Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Today, we have on Kelly Ann Smith, who talks about taking her budgeting hobby into a full-time business on YouTube. But before that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Well, this weekend was mostly centered around a bunch of Friendsgivings, and it was actually pretty cool. So we went to a friend's Friendsgiving on Friday night, but then we also hosted our own on Saturday in the new house. So I really got to break it in, had 24 people over. But what was really cool is how some of the guests became guests. So one person, uh, shout out to Russell, who gave us a lovely book as a housewarming present, was a listener and had reached out over LinkedIn, realized we were in the same industry. You know, he heard on the podcast when I was moving to Austin. And so we went out, had a beer, you know, back a couple months ago and stayed in contact. And so he came over for Friendsgiving. Um, also had Brenda, who I met on Twitter, and Ben, who I met at Camp Fi. So it's it's just really interesting to see all these places where we meet people and, and to actually come together in real life and, and for everybody to meet each other. So that was really cool. And then, yeah, I just had my buddy come down from Dallas as well. So he spent the night and we checked out some of the new local places that we can walk to from the house for some NFL. And as far as um, some items from Friendsgiving, just got to give a, a quick little rundown. So I made some... Sweet potato crostinis with goat cheese, toasted pecans, and a cayenne honey drizzle, some corn casserole, and then the star of the show were the sliders where I sous vide the turkey. If you hate dry turkey, sous vide is the answer. If you don't know what that is, just Google it. It's going to sound weird, but it's great. And then I had some smoked gouda on there, a little bit of cranberry, some little small slider like brioche and jalapeno buns. Finished it off with a little uh, like kind of butter and salt on the top, and they were delicious. You can ask anybody who came. That's enough about me, though, Cody. I know I'm rambling. How about you? Hey, well, it sounds like one heck of a weekend, and I am definitely jealous of all those Friendsgivings. I did have my own Thanksgiving this past weekend, so my mom's side of the family, we've just always traditionally done Thanksgiving on the Sunday before, just because everyone has something to do on Thanksgiving Day, so avoid the clash. Let's just let's have this tradition where we do it the Sunday before. So a lot of good Thanksgiving. My Aunt Karen is a really awesome cook, so we got to eat a lot of good stuff there. Actually, had a lot of goodies this weekend. Now that I think of it, we went to this Mexican restaurant and got a bunch of tacos, probably ate too many tacos and a couple <laughs> too many margaritas, but that was a lot of fun. And yeah, just hanging out with friends. The weather is starting to get colder up here. I don't know about you down in Austin, Justin, but the weather today was like 30 degrees. <laughs> so not looking forward to that while we don't have snow, but I am looking forward to the ski season when that starts to open up. So that's pretty much everything about me this past weekend. Before we get going on the episode, let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called Personal Capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth 
is just they look at it as a big burden and this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have these can be loans these can be 401ks these can be hsas bank accounts credit cards they're all linked there the other thing i really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused so you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio so you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account but your allocation as a person completely and if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. All right. So like I mentioned quickly at the beginning of the episode, today we have on Kelly Ann Smith from Freedom in a Budget. She was someone I saw on a panel at FinCon. It was called Stacks on Stacks, I believe. And it was about all these different income streams that these financial influencers, bloggers, YouTubers, they were just kind of breaking it all down for us. And you know, she had built this awesome YouTube channel. I started digging into her story a bit more, and it was amazing. In this episode, you'll hear her talk about her budgeting roots, how she ended up getting into debt and finding Ramsey, and kind of going through the whole Dave Ramsey life cycle, but then kind of realizing that, maybe, hey, maybe all this stuff isn't correct. Maybe there are different pathways. Maybe I do need a credit score. Maybe all debt isn't bad. And then how she you know, used that content, used kind of the lifestyle that she had built for herself to then create content to help other people with budgeting. And now she has this six-figure business on YouTube, Freedom in a Budget, teaching people how to crush it with their savings and budgeting and a bit of entrepreneurship as well. Yeah, the biggest thing for me from this episode is that evolution. Always continue to learn. She didn't just stop with Dave Ramsey and take that as like a religious gospel and say, I will never do anything else, which some people fall into. Not that Dave Ramsey is bad, but there's always more things to learn. Like you're, you're going to learn things you know, hopefully through this show, more books you read, more people you meet, just continue to open up your mind on what is out there and what avenues you have to reaching financial independence. We know that you're going to love this episode and probably want to come back and check out some links or share it with a friend. And you can do that at thefyshow.com slash Kelly. That's thefyshow.com slash K-E-L-L-Y. Take it away, Kelly. Money was tight growing up. My parents both lived paycheck to paycheck. My mom actually owned a business. She owned a daycare out of our house. And so she was an entrepreneur. And then my dad worked as a janitor in our high school. So we always lived paycheck to paycheck. And then my mom actually passed away when I was 16 from cancer. So I think that's part of the reason why we lived paycheck to paycheck, which is because medical bills and all that stuff growing up. And so I never had anyone teach me about money. I never had anyone teach me how to apply for student loans and do different money things. I just kind of winged it. And then as soon as I turned 18, I grew up in a really small town. And then as soon as I turned 18, I was like, all right, everyone knows my whole life story. Everyone knows everything about me. I need a fresh start. So I packed up my car and moved to Florida and was just on my own in Florida and got a job and went to like a trade school and was working at a grocery store and doing different things, but never really had a lot of money and lived paycheck to paycheck then. Then had my car repossessed at one point. Power turned off multiple times. I ate like spaghetti and Parmesan cheese and butter for like two years straight every night for dinner, mostly because it was cheap and delicious. And so just money was super, super tight for me all through, you know, my college years and even after. And just it was a struggle. And was that true for like your whole extended family as well? Was that like kind of your direct, like your parents, or do you feel like you didn't have anyone to even look at role model wise deeper in the family as far as somebody who's kind of putting things together? I did, but I was too embarrassed. I have an uncle that's a software guy and 
super smart with stocks and super smart, but it was just super intimidating. Like, I don't want him to know that I'm struggling. Like, I don't know. And then I have an aunt that's very well off as a nurse. And she actually recently found my YouTube channel a couple of years ago and she started watching some of my videos and she was like, Kelly, I never knew any of this. Like, you should have <laughs> called me. Like, I would have helped. And I was like, my ego was too big at that time. Like, I wanted to do it on my own. I didn't want any help type of thing. Like, I don't even know if I would have accepted it. But I also think like as much as it sucked, like it really helped to set me up for who I am today. And I really think that that is really helping my journey now. And it also helps me to relate to people and helps me to to help other people like y'all. I've been there, too. I'm not talking from a high horse like I've struggled. I understand like you can get through this. If I can, you can as well. So when you were in that struggling period, was it due to overspending? Were you not making enough money? I know you mentioned you got stuff repoed. You were living paycheck to paycheck. Was that just a direct result of like, okay, I'm literally making $8 an hour at this job? Or was it, oh, Kelly, I am buying this new car. I have this expensive rent. I'm maybe going out more than I should. It was a combination. I live in South Florida, which South Florida is is pretty high cost of living. Rent's expensive down here. Things are expensive. Definitely had a lot of those higher bills. I did buy a new car. I had a Ford Focus that I drove down here and the fuel pump went on the drive down. And so... After that, I was like, I want a new car, no problems. Didn't understand like buying a car that's like two years old and, you know, the value of that. But I also spent more than I should have. Like if I had 20 extra dollars in my bank account, that was $20 to go to Marshall's and buy a cute top or do whatever I wanted. So I definitely didn't budget my money or know anything about budgeting or so I definitely spent more than I should have. But it was also I was also making a little bit above minimum wage as well. What was that moment? Like, I feel like a lot of people just have this really iconic kind of aha moment where they start to think, I've got to take control of this. I want to get smarter about this, whatever it is. Like, what was that for you that made you make a change where you started to focus more on like what was important to you and put things together and and to strive to push for that gap between your your earning and your and your expenses? It's really funny. It actually is because of YouTube. And I started following a little bit of Dave Ramsey. And then I started finding some other YouTubers that were as well. And I became obsessed with their videos and so obsessive. And like, I would literally watch for like six hours straight, like didn't turn on my TV. It was just like YouTube videos and just obsessing over these different money topics. And this was like the first time I ever really learned about money. So it was super new to me, super eye opening. And I was like, holy cow, like I could do this. I could get out of debt. I like this is possible. And it was exciting. And I remember like cash envelopes for the first time. And I made all these envelopes and it was so exciting. And then I was like, okay, you need to keep some of this money in the bank. Like this isn't wise here. And then right from there, two months later, I was like, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. If they can do it, I can do it. And so then it was also like, I'm showing my real budgets on my YouTube channel. I showed raw numbers. Like if I'm going to be spending $30 that I shouldn't be spending, I'm going to have to talk about it on my channel. I don't want to do that. So that helped keep me accountable. So my YouTube channel was really, really big accountability and just kind of learning with people like saying, all right, guys, this is something new I learned about money. Let me teach you as well. Or this is something that I screwed up with money. Don't make this mistake. So it was cool to bring people along that journey. And I think it's just really helpful when you have someone that's that raw and that transparent to follow along. So people who were in your shoes five years previous now can see, hey, look, Kelly didn't have her stuff together and now she's crushing it. I'm curious in terms of income streams, you know, when you kind of make that pivot, when you discover all these personal finance creators on YouTube, were you still making like just above minimum wage or were you starting to, you know, gain new skills, move into a different career field, side Mm -hmm. hustle? What did that look like? 
Well, previous to that, ever since I turned, I think it was 18, I was still living in Massachusetts at the time. And I went to a jewelry party. And that was an MLM. And then from there, I think I was in like, oh, Lord, I think like four or five MLMs in my lifetime from the age of 18 to like maybe 23, 23 ish. And some of them were like big conferences that I would go to every three months and dropping a lot of money to go to these conferences. But the things that I learned at those conferences were incredible. Like the entrepreneur mindset, the like the financial independence mindset that that they had and they were instilling in us at that young age. I was like, holy cow. So I think that's really what kind of sparked my entrepreneurial journey. And then after that, I was like, all right, these MLMs are not for me. And then a few years later is when I started YouTube. So I was part of like those and those kind of like sparked it a little bit, but I wasn't making money from them. And then by the time that I started my channel, I was getting a little bit into a career. I'm actually at the job I am now, but I was making a lot less money then. And so I think that's kind of also what started like a little bit more of a state paycheck and we're starting to make a little bit more money now. And just to touch briefly a little bit into the, your MLM experience, because I feel like that's a lot of times like a hot topic. I think yeah. we've all been there where we got had someone we haven't heard from since high school and all of a sudden they reach out and they're, yeah, they're that was sound me. like a natural conversation. And then yep. all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you should really start trying to sell skincare. And I'm like, me? Like, skincare? like, I don't know. So what are your thoughts on it? Do you feel like it's all kind of like, eh, not the best? Or it's like, no, some of them are very reputable companies and it's all about mm-hmm. how you run it, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's funny. I have a lot different perspective than most people on MLMs. Like there's definitely MLMs that are shady or or people don't run them properly like business owners don't run them properly but there's a lot that like i know people that i'm still in contact with that make legit like upper six figures almost a million dollars a year from it and it's legit companies it's amazing products it's amazing like i think mlms get a really bad rep and i think a lot of it is just people that aren't educated that were never in them like there was one that was in that was really good but it just wasn't for me it was also not for me because I was a single lady. I feel like if I was doing it as a couple, I would be a lot more successful. And so a lot of people just don't have the best experience with it. I think also when you're in that MLM, like when you're in the grind of it and when you're doing this and you're going to the meetings, you're going to the conferences, when you're reaching out to these people, like it's genuine. I never ever, at least for me and the people on my team, we never messaged someone just to get them like whatever. We genuinely thought that it would help them. And so I feel like it gets a bad rep of like, oh, I just want you to be a boss babe and this and that and all this stuff. And like, I just wanted to make money off of you. Like, it honestly wasn't that. It was honestly like, holy crap, this is helping me or I see the potential of it helping me. And I wanted to help you as well. So I think that gets a bad rep. But would I ever go back to an MLM now? Like I've been approached a bajillion times since I've been on YouTube. Like people are like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. You should do it. I'm like, nope, sorry, never going to do it again. I don't think they're as bad as a lot of people say they are. Fair enough. Well, digging back into the expenses side a little bit, and I know, I mean, you were just all things budgeting and you're the master of helping people kind of get control of that spending. I'd love to hear like from a personal experience standpoint, as well as teaching other people, like what are some of the best budgeting methods for those people that just, maybe they have this one category that they just can't ax, they can't slash it. No matter what, they keep going back to Target and spending that $500 a month mm-hmm. or whatever that might be. Like, what are the, some of the most tried and true methods that you've seen? Keeping a budget is number one. We definitely don't live paycheck to paycheck anymore. We have several thousand dollars every month in excess that we're able to put towards investments, our goals, different things like that. 
but I still keep a budget. Like it really helps to visually see my goals now. And so I'm like, oh, we're able to put this much towards our investments versus it just kind of like sitting in a bank account. Whereas if we weren't budgeting, that's what it would be doing. One of the biggest aha moments for me when I was budgeting is in kind of coming out of that like living paycheck to paycheck, that like scarcity mindset to abundance mindset, like that shift that I had, I really realized, and this is why I named my channel and my blog Freedom in a Budget is because budgets truly give you freedom. When I was in the thick of my spending, I would feel so guilty going to Target or so guilty going to like home goods and buying home decor or skincare or whatever it was. Then I was like, you know what, Kelly, you can put a line item in your budget for that. And you can put $100 for eating out. You can put $50 for skincare, whatever it is. And then when you swipe to your cart, you don't have that guilt. You have that, you know what? No, it's in the budget. It's fine. And it's not that like, I should have spent that on debt or I should have put that towards that. No, we're going to spend up to that. We're not going to go past it. We're going to stay within budget. But it gives you the freedom to be able to do that and not the guilt. That was a really big aha moment for me. And then another thing is I was known for a while of having a really low grocery budget, only spent $100 a month for groceries. So many people were like, how are you doing it? I want to do that as well and different things. They would go from $400 a month and they'd want to go down to $100 like me. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, let's cut back slowly. Like, let's cut back $20 this week or $10 this week. Then get used to it and then cut back a little bit more and a little bit more. So don't go all in. Don't compare me to you like you have kids. I don't have kids. You're on a super strict diet. I'm not. I eat a lot of pasta because I love carbs. You like vegetables, different things like that. Don't be comparing it, but also like go gradually to hit your goal versus just cold turkey. And you just talked about like where that person was at 400. I mean, to do that, they've got to know, like they've got to track first to figure Mm -hmm. out where they are in the first place. And I always talk to people, I feel like that is step number one is even before you can kind of set goals or budgets is tracking and figuring out what you have. But a lot of people struggle with the tracking part. Now, I personally love just a good old fashioned like Excel spreadsheet. There's a lot of tools out there. I guess what are some of your tips for people for tracking so that it is the least amount of burden as possible? Yeah, I'm an Excel nerd as well. I love Excel, especially if it has a dollar sign. My husband does a lot of like CAD stuff and this weird programming stuff. And he'll ask me about different things because I'm an Excel nerd. I'm like, does it have dollar signs? No, I'm sorry. I can't help you. Put some dollar signs and I can help you. But with Excel, I've learned that even with my own personal experience, like when I've gotten lazy with budgeting, of being in your budget every other day or every couple of days and track your purchases as they come in versus waiting to the end of the month And then it's going to take an hour. You're going to dread it. It's going to take forever. And it's just going to be cumbersome. When you're in there every other day, every couple of days, it takes five minutes. Super fast, super easy. And then with that as well, you can see how you're progressing throughout the month. So if you have a grocery budget and you're three weeks in and you're like, oh, crap, we're about to hit it. Then it's like, okay, now it's time to eat from the pantry. We're going to cut back a little bit. You can see as you're going throughout the month. Whereas if you wait until the end of the month to track, you've already gone over budget. You're like, well, that sucked. Next month, I'll do better. And then every month, it's the same cycle. And do you typically focus on, I guess, the more easily changed line items like groceries, for example, or like eating out or clothes shopping? Because obviously things like rent and housing and transportation, those have a much larger impact on the overall budget. But there's a Mm -hmm. lot higher friction to like change those things like changing where you're living, selling the new car and getting a used car. I'd love to hear how that conversation usually goes with people. Yeah, I usually try and focus on the easy ones first. 
and really, really try and like hit on those. And then there's some like coaching clients that I have where I'm like, all right, there's nothing else we can cut. Like you either got to move or you need to raise your income. And so many people are like, okay, I'll just cut, 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 cut. And I'm like, you can only cut so much. And I had that mentality for a while, like turn back. It's okay. Like when I would talk to the people like, just no, you can cut your spending, you're overspending. And then there's some people I look at, I'm like, y'all cut. And there's nothing <laughs> else. You got to increase your, your income. And so then kind of, I'm trying to like work on shifting my audience right now to like get away from the like hundred percent frugal living and work on getting into more of that wealth mindset and growing your income and finding different ways to diversify your income. And you talked about, and, mm-hmm. and now you said, you know, you'd like to kind of swap gears a little bit to move into that mindset. What are some things you're telling people when they're like, well, yeah, of course, I'd love to make more money, but like, how do I make more money? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase, at shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. Yeah, it's so cool um, just how I've been able to bring people along my journey. People are like, oh, you know, I want a side hustle or I want an online business or I want this. And I'm like, guys, like 2020 taught you, like, number one, you can't rely on your day job. Like we got a $20,000 pay cut between my husband and I in 2020 because of everything that happened. And so thank God we had my business and that we were able to sustain and we didn't really feel too much of an impact. But there's so many people that did, especially with the internet nowadays. Like I'm like, there's so many ways to make money online. Like you can go out, you can DoorDash, Rover, do whatever you want to make extra money, babysit those like old, like traditional side hustles. But there's also so many online side hustles, like even creating digital products or starting a YouTube channel, starting a blog. Do people pick your brain on decorating for parties? Like I have a friend that does, used to do all these like really cool party decorations. And now she has a full-blown business where she makes like balloon arches and does all these cool things for parties. Like what skills do you have? What are people coming to you and picking your brain and saying, hey, can you help me with this? Like start charging for it, start consulting and it's really cool how you can make a full business out of simple things like that and then just watch it grow and add on new revenue streams as you go. And it sounded like you did something similar. You were scratching mm-hmm. your own itch. You were building that kind of accountability platform with your YouTube channel. You probably had no idea the income potential of YouTube at the time. And now, you know, I went to your Stacks on Stacks session. You have all these different kind of income streams from that YouTube channel. So I'd love to yeah. hear kind of the development of that YouTube channel, you mm-hmm. know, from subscriber one some of the things you learned early on to where you're at today. It's been such a cool journey. And like a lot of people, when they start YouTube, they're like, I just want as a hobby. Like 
it was a hobby, but I also saw other people making money. So I was like, okay, I'm not starting this just as a hobby. I want to make money from this. But when I started my channel in April 2016, so I've been on YouTube for five and a half years now, we were grandfathered into monetization. So now you have to reach monetization. You need 4,000 hours of watch time, 1,000 subscribers. I didn't have to do that. So I was making money from day one. It wasn't a lot, but it was something. And then as my channel grew, I started adding on new things like affiliate marketing. Then people came to me and was like, hey, like, I love your spreadsheet. Can you give me my spreadsheet? I was like, I mean, I could sell it to you for $3. And they were like, yeah, I'll pay $3 for that for a lifetime. Okay. And then I was like, oh, well, let me up that price a little bit. And then started making other products and other printables that people could use as motivation. And then people came to me and was like, hey, like, can you coach me with this? I just need accountability. And I was like, sure, I can do that. And then courses started and just different things. So like over the years, just new things came. And a lot of times people just came to me and was like, hey, can you do this? And I was like, yeah, I can make that happen or I can come up with something for that. And so it's cool just how it's progressed over the time. And I just hit $100,000 in revenue this past month. And I I thought back and I was like, holy cow, like, this is crazy. Like, did I want to hit 100K in revenue last year alone? Yes. Did that happen? No. But at the same time, I just hit it like it took me five years to do it. But when I started, I wanted to make money, but I never thought that I would make $100,000. Like that is just mind blowing, especially from where I came from. I'm like, this is just absolutely crazy of how it's progressed over the years and how I've been so blessed. And with our personal investments and, you know, when you think about compounding interest, a lot of times it's, it's hard. You're just seeing the beginning, you're seeing the small growth. And it's hard to stick in there. I imagine this YouTube growth was similar where it's going. And if you look real close, it's looking just like little small increments, but you zoom out a little bit and it's got that curve to it. Mm -hmm. Is that the way your growth was? Was it kind of like slow for a while and then all of a sudden it just took off? No, I never had like a big spike. I never had viral video or anything like that. My growth, if you look at my chart, it was always just that slow 10, 20 subscribers a day. And it's still like that. It's still that slow, slow growth which is good and it's bad. You know, like I have some friends that office stimulus videos, they took off and their channel just exploded and they didn't know how to like manage it, didn't know how to do anything with it. And they were just kind of like giving it. And now, you know, they've adjusted and now they're making really nice money because of it. So there's a little, little jealousy there. But at the same time, like I'm super thankful of just that slow, consistent, steady growth. So speaking of virality, I know you did have a couple videos that went pretty viral for a certain individual that we mentioned earlier. You started off with their, you know, cash envelope budgeting system. I'd love to hear one, why you started to disagree with this individual, what mm -hmm. wasn't working in their system. And then two, why do you think those videos blew up so much? Oh, goodness. The video that you're obviously referring to is my why I stopped following Dave Ramsey. And my channel started as a Dave Ramsey channel. Like, it was through and through about his baby steps and cash envelope system and all of the things. And I was following it to a T. You couldn't tell me anything wrong about the program. And then as I kind of went through and I started hanging out with other YouTubers and different things and started hearing more about the fire movement and different things and how they didn't necessarily agree with David. I was like, what are you talking about? And then I really just started listening and I was like, holy crap. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Yeah. I really wish I didn't stop investing all throughout my debt-free journey. And just, you know, even if it was $100 a month into an index fund, like 
I would have been a lot wealthier now if I had done that type of thing. So kind of just started picking apart part of his program. And I was like, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Now, do I think at the end of the day, like the basis of his plan, I think it's awesome for people that don't know anything about money. People like me that were so in debt and just so like clueless about anything budgeting, I think it's awesome for. Once you get debt-free or almost to debt-free, I think most people graduate away from Dave Ramsey. Like I don't agree with his, his investing methods. I don't agree with paying off your house early necessarily. Some people do, some people don't. Right now, we're not trying to pay off a mortgage early. We're trying to pay by investment properties. That would be something that he would be against. And so different things like that of like building wealth. Do I think you can become a millionaire off of him? Sure. Do I think you can become a millionaire a lot faster? Yes. (laughs) And so that's kind of the approach. So I did a video because a lot of people were asking me like, Kelly, like you used to be this. Now you're saying some other things like what's going on? What are your thought process? And so I just did a very honest video of why I stopped following him of like, this is what I don't agree with. I was super respectful. I even said like, I've met him a couple of times. I've been invited out to his studio. I have no disrespect for him. I'll always credit my debt-free journey to him and just kind of laid it out. And the video, it's one of my most popular videos, but it never had that like crazy spike, like that never viral spike, but it definitely got more views than any other video of mine. And it turns out the video ended up getting promoted for like six months right next to his videos on (laughs) YouTube. So people would be watching the Dave Ramsey show and watching his videos. And then my video would pop up right there. So all of the comments that I got were all his diehard fans, which they would just tell me how much of an idiot I am. And I didn't understand the program and this and that. I'm like, y'all go back to my old videos. Like I understood the program and Their thought process is, if I don't agree, then I don't understand. And I'm like, you know what? I used to have that thought process. I used to think that about credit cards. You just don't understand the science of swiping, that you spend more when you're swiping. And now I'm like, 100% credit cards. (laughs) It's funny just listening back to them. I'm just like, I see where you're coming from. But it is what it is. So I ended up making a follow-up video on the pros and cons of Dave Ramsey. Got some hate. I even read some of the nasty comments in the video, like with their screenshots, their username, everything, calling them out. And then I just did it like, these are the pros of Dave Ramsey. These are the cons of Dave Ramsey. Like this would agree with this, but I don't agree with super respectful. So what I do is, and I made a canned response in YouTube. So now anytime I get a hate comment, I just say, have you watched my video of the pros and cons of Dave Ramsey and link the video. And so then they'll comment back and be like, I'm not watching that video. You're stupid. And then like 10 minutes later, I'll get a comment on that video from them. And we're like, oh, curiosity gotcha, huh? (laughs) I think a lot of the fact that it went quote unquote viral is because it got so much hate, which got a lot of engagement, which means YouTube continued to pushing it out. Like YouTube saw, okay, if we promote it to Dave Ramsey people, they're going to watch it. They're going to comment on it. We like comments. So that's why it stayed in front of his audience for so long. Yeah. I mean, I think the Dave Ramsey piece is, it's such an interesting one because obviously he has such a reach and it's also so rigid. And I think a lot of times with personal finance, the reality is that it is so personal and that there is so many different decisions you have to consider. But in his formula, there's not too much like decision making. It is very rigid. You can just follow it and that's all you do. Do you think that maybe that is part of why it has such a, a deep following? Because if you meet people mm-hmm. who are really into it, like you said, you cannot disagree with one thing that man says or else look out, the pitchforks are coming. I mean, I can yeah. see it being that. And I can also see it being a part of 
this man saved my life. This man completely mm-hmm. changed my life. Don't you dare say anything bad about him. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about why you think that is it that people are so entrenched in his mm-hmm. views. I think it's a combination of both. I think so many people are just that die hard. Like he saved my life. He changed my finances. And then also like another thing that I love is people are so big and talking about how he's a multimillionaire and all this stuff. And I'm like, y'all, he did not become a multimillionaire based on his seven baby steps. He became a multimillionaire based on his business. Like if you want to follow business advice, he's a great businessman. Learn from his business. But he did not become this wealthy, wealthy man following the baby steps. And, and that's why I said earlier, like you can become a millionaire, but you're going to become a millionaire faster, other revenues and entrepreneurship and investing in different things like that. Another thing that I tell people is you have to understand, like Dave is speaking to the masses and with credit cards, like he cannot come to me and say, Kelly, you know what? You've been through my program. You understand your spending habits. You've understood credit cards. You've tried cash envelopes. You've tried this. You know how to swipe without spending. You can use credit cards. He can't come to me and say that because then the neighbor down the street is going to be like, Dave said Kelly can use credit cards. She can use them. I can use them. He has to be so blanket. No, credit cards are the devil. No, we're not investing while we're paying off debt. No, we're not doing these different things. Like he's so, because it's part of his brand. I wonder now, like different people, like I wonder with like Rachel, like, do you agree with every little thing that he says? Like Anthony, like now that you're away from it, like what do you agree with? What do you disagree with type of thing? Do these like personalities, do they agree with every nitpicky thing or are they just so like entrenched in it? Like I was that they're like, yeah, hundred percent. That's what it is type of thing. But it's definitely interesting of how he's quote unquote brainwashed or gotten people to believe it. It's pretty crazy. It's like a religion to some people. Mm -hmm. I've heard that analogy quite a few times in terms of content creation. Obviously, this seems like a pretty good catalyst for watch time getting more subscribers, whether they hate you or they don't hate you. In terms of content strategy, I'm sure it's shifted a lot since 2016 when you started making those first videos, whether it's YouTube or I'm sure this can kind of go and spill into other areas like blog posts or podcasts, whatever. What are some of those early lessons or some early tips for people who are just getting started out creating your content? It's challenging. It's hard because like as a creator, there's so many things that I want to talk about or I want to, you know, do and like you, there's so much like strategy with YouTube. You got to niche down. You got to do this. You got to speak to the algorithm. And there's so much part of that of like the technical side of YouTube. But then there's also like the side of YouTube or the side of any, you know, podcast, blog, whatever of what your audience wants. Like there's videos that I want to do. And I'm like, this would be such an amazing video. This would be so great. And then my audience doesn't want it. Like they just want the frugal, how to save money, how to do this. And So I remember for a long time, I wanted and I brought them along my investing journey of like saying, hey, like, all right, we're learning about investing. It's something that now that I'm debt free, that I feel comfortable in learning. And so I kind of brought them along that journey and was like, all right, this is what a dividend is. This is what this is. And just kind of bringing them along that journey. And it flopped like people did not want to hear it. Like they just wanted that same old how to save money stuff. So it's hard of like doing what I want to do and what the audience wants to do. Because at the same time, you want to get views. You don't want to like just let your channel die. But at the same time, you want to talk about what you want to talk about type of thing. So it's definitely a sensitive way of bringing them on. Now I'm trying to talk more about entrepreneurship and growing your income. Like let's get away from this frugal mindset of save, 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 save. Like yeah, saving money is awesome, especially if you're paying off debt. But let's grow our income. Let's work more towards building wealth. So it's been a slow journey, but 
much rather talk about that than just saving money and paying off debt all the time. And that's what I was just about to ask. I mean, if people have kind of almost typecasted you as like, this is, I go to Kelly for frugal stuff. I go to somebody else if I want to talk about vacation spots or somebody else if I want to talk about 401ks. Kelly's my frugal person. Yeah. For you as the content creator, and I mean, I I hear you saying that you're, you're wanting to branch out some different things, but you know, you're five years into this now. How do you keep from getting burnt out on talking about how to save money? (laughs) It's, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I will. (laughs) As much as like, it's not challenging to me, but at the same time, like it's easy. When I was doing the investing stuff, it was a lot harder because it was a lot more research that I had to do. And like, especially with investing, like if I teach someone how to pay off debt or I'm helping them pay off debt or like the snowball versus the avalanche, what's the worst that can happen? They pay off some debt. Oh, too bad. Like, okay, you know, they paid off their balance versus they paid off the high interest one. Sorry, you still paid off debt. With investing, like you can really like not mess with someone's money. Like I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not giving financial advice, but you can really say some wrong things and also tick off a lot of people. And so it was a lot more of a challenge for me of like, I got to make sure what I'm talking about was legit and straight. And it's like, I remember one time I did a post on like right in the beginning of the pandemic. And I said, we lost $12,000 in the stock market. And everyone just jumped down my throat. You didn't lose unless you sold. And this and this, I was like, okay, wrong verbiage. (laughs) We did not sell, we did not lose. And that was one of those things that was eye-opening to me of like, okay, Kelly, you got to make sure your verbiage is like on point with investing type of thing. So it was definitely one of those things where I had to really challenge myself to make sure, which I liked the challenge, but it was also stressful. And with like the frugal saving money, it's like, okay, what do I talk about today? Oh, okay. Five tips to save money. Sure. I can come up with hundred tips to save money type of thing. So it's like a lot easier, but it's not as challenging. So it has its pros and its cons, especially right now where I'm pregnant. I'm just trying to do the easy stuff because I'm so (laughs) tired. Keeping it coasting. Yeah. In terms of income streams, I know we touched on some Mm -hmm. of them earlier. You know, you had monetization right off the start and maybe we can just kind of get into each of these income streams in a second which is like ads. Then you said you mentioned affiliate program. You mentioned online courses. I guess we could maybe just dig into each one individually and like how you're making money from that, explain it from a high level. And then maybe we can just get in percentage like the pie chart after that. Yeah. Number one is affiliate marketing. That's the majority of my income. That's probably 40% of my income is affiliate marketing. So, you know, me referring products, or apps and services, different things like that. And then the company will pay me. So that's number one. The next one that is AdSense. So that's what I make from my blog, the ads that run on my blog, and then also my YouTube channel. And then from there, I would say probably digital products is next. So that printables, Excel spreadsheets, Excel templates, different things like that. And those I sell both on Etsy. And then I also have them on my website as well in my WooCommerce shop. So I have the same exact thing, both places, and they just both get different traffic. Then I have courses. I have two courses. I have an entrepreneur course teaching people exactly how I built my business. It's called Dreamer Profitable, how I started it and how you can do it in not five years like I did. And just kind of like growing your revenue streams, your mindset, the legal aspect, all that stuff. And then I have a course on how to save money on groceries. So that's next. Sponsorships. I do some sponsorships. I'm pretty particular about sponsorships that I work with. And when I do, I make sure that they pay me well because they're a hassle to work with and a lot of like back and forth with compliance and different things like that. What is sponsorships for those who aren't familiar? Because they might have seen like a video like that, but they don't quite understand the mechanics. 
Yeah. So a sponsorship is similar to affiliate marketing, but it's where a brand will pay you directly to either do a dedicated video for them, like a review of them or showing a product, different ones like that. Like I have one that I have to film today about cocoa butter for pregnancy and it's a TikTok and an Instagram reel. So they're paying me directly to make the content and then I'll put it up on mine. So it's almost like a commercial for them on my platform and or they'll do a sponsored segment in a video. So it's like a 30 second little like shout out or I'll do it as like a bullet point. So there's one that I did for a while for life insurance. And so one of my tips, I tried to like weave it in organically. One of my tips was make sure that you have life insurance and kind of my story with life insurance and different things like that. So that's how sponsorships work. Um, And the brand will just pay you directly to shout them out or do whatever it is. But there's a lot of legal that goes into it, a lot of compliance and making sure that you're saying everything correctly and all that. So it's a lot of back and forth with the brands. And then the last revenue stream is coaching. So coaching people on entrepreneurship, on budgeting. Sometimes I just do accountability or just, hey, like book a session and pick my brain. And they just come to me with 20 questions. And it's like, all right, what would you do in these situations type of thing? And with sponsorships and affiliate links, for those, maybe they actually want to do this. Maybe they're just interested in kind of how the, the business works. Are you going out and, and trying to find the companies that you really want to work for and going and trying to land those? Are they coming to you? Is it a mix of both? And if so, like, is it mostly them coming to you and just a little bit of you going out? It's a mix of both. In the beginning, it was 100% me going out to find them. There was ones that like, I remember even like 500 subscribers, I was getting emails in my inbox. And I was like, holy cow, I've made it. This is amazing. But they were like, not about my brand at all. They were like, can you review this sheet set or sheets for $200? And I'm like, y'all, I have a frugal crowd. Like they are not paying $200 for sheets. Like I would get (laughs) laughed off if I did this. So you get a lot of like just random or like brands that like these weird jewelry things from like India or different things like that. You got to weed through them. You got to do your research on them to make sure they're legit. Make sure they're a company that you've used before or that you've thoroughly vetted. I'm very particular about what brands I represent, what brands I talk about. And then there's times where I've reached out to a brand and was like, hey, y'all, like, I love you. I'm going to talk about you anyways. Can we do a partnership? Can we do anything? Like, can we do a giveaway? Can we do something that we can do to work together? And just kind of reaching out. I would say now it's probably, I would say they probably reach out to me more. And I just kind of had my set, like I have an Excel spreadsheet where I keep track of all of my brands and everything and all the links and everything. And I just kind of go through that or I'll use like affiliate dashboards, different things like impact CJ, those where I can go and pull links from, but I pretty much my core now. And then I'm slowly adding new ones. And as your business starts to scale, you know, obviously with scale and more income and more subscribers comes more work and more responsibility. Are you thinking strategically about scaling, like bringing people on maybe for certain pain points in the business, things that are taking you a ton of time, like maybe previously you did all the editing for your YouTube videos. Now you have an editor. Just kind of curious how that's kind of progressed over time. I've hired in the past. I've had a couple of virtual assistants that just didn't work out. So now I'm just back to a one man show. I do have my husband that does all my website stuff for me on my coding and stuff, which is good and bad. Like it's good that it's, you know, free, but bad because he's really busy. And sometimes it takes him two months to get something done. Whereas if I hired, I'd be like, y'all, we have a deadline here. You know, where is this type of thing? I'm actually getting to the point now where I'm looking to start hiring again. 
just because I'm getting so busy and I have a baby on the way and all this stuff. And I'm like, I got to do something now. So I'm kind of going back. I was going to start hiring someone to edit, which a struggle is finding these people like of doing tasks that you should hire someone versus tasks that you like. So for instance, I love editing. Like it's a thing that I can do on my couch with my hair up, no makeup. Like I can just edit in my pajamas type of thing. I don't have to be camera ready, but it is time consuming. And so I'm like, is it something I could be, you know, or should I hire out the things that are really don't enjoy doing? What's going to be the best for my business? So right now I'm tracking all of my time. I use toggle and just track everything. So there's been a couple of places that I've looked to talk about editing and they're charging me the same amount that it is for me to edit when I feel, figure out my hourly rate. So I'm like, okay, in that aspect, it's not worth my money. Like if it was a lot cheaper, then maybe I would go with it. But I'm really trying to do time analysis and making sure what, what tasks am I spending more time on? What tasks can I give away? Those types of things. And then using that time that I give away to scale and to bring in more things that are going to make more money versus like more free time of like, no, like these are your working hours. This is how much you're putting in. Let's use this to scale your business and not just watch Netflix on the couch. You are scaling this business though, even if you haven't necessarily grown your team a ton right now, you're also about to grow your family a little bit more. Mm-hmm. A lot of changes going on. I'm curious. A lot of changes. How do you see your life changing going forward? Like you've built this brand around being frugal. Do you kind of have some goals where you're like, at this point, the shackles are coming off. Maybe they already have, or like, maybe you've got stages where you're like, okay, when I get to this point, I'm going to let myself have a little bit of lifestyle inflation and get to this point. I'm going to go to the next level. Like, how do you see it? Or do you just kind of want to get somewhere where you're comfortable and you're going to stay there forever? It's interesting. My husband was not raised how I was raised. He never struggled with money. He had two houses growing up, like a lake house that he would go to every weekend. So he never had the same struggle. So it was a bit of a, a battle when we first got married. And now we've kind of come to compromise and I compromise on vacations and we go on you know, some nice all-inclusive vacations and cruises and different things like that. And so we definitely have like increased our lifestyle. And with the baby, it's interesting. I have a lot of comments that are like, now that you're pregnant, I can't wait to see you have a frugal baby. And I'm going to learn all the frugal baby things. And I'm like, Black Friday, I'm buying a snoo, which is a $1,500 bassinet. This is not going to be the frugalest baby. Like my sleep is way more important than a $1,500 bassinet. Like I will gladly pay that money. So as our income has grown over the years and stuff, and like now when I think about like how much we make and like our net worth, it's like mind blowing compared to what it was before. So now we can, you know, afford different things, but I'm also, I'm still frugal with our groceries. I'm still frugal with eating out and different things. And I'm like, no, let's cook at home type of thing. I feel like there's always going to be aspects of frugality, especially coming from that past. I feel like it could all be just like the rug could come from be pulled from under me at any time, like any time, like all of it could go away. And so I kind of feel like I have that in the back head, like, no, we got to keep saving and this and that. And like, it's hard to break that mindset of, Is it okay to keep on, you know, growing our lifestyle? But then we also have big goals. So like we want to get into investment properties and other ways to build our wealth that way and putting more and more into investments. Awesome. Well, a lot of stuff going on over there, Kelly. And for those who want to follow along with your journey, who want the best budgeting tips, sounds like you're going to be getting into rental properties, entrepreneurship. You have these courses. Where is the best place for them to do that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So my YouTube channel is Kelly Ann Smith. My blog is freedominabudget.com. And then my entrepreneur course is dreamerprofitable.com. And then also like Instagram, TikTok, all those fun things as well. Well, you have so many things going on. So I really appreciate you taking a little bit of that time and giving it to us and our audience. So again, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thebuyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.